Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. We are so afraid to allow our children to develop into their own essence that we believe the only way we can raise them is through supreme dominance, tyranny, and control. Hi, my name is Mark Groves, and I'm obsessed with understanding human behavior and why we do what we do. In this podcast, I interview the world's most brilliant minds and hearts, where I get to explore, alongside you, every subject you can imagine relating to our human experience and how we relate. It is my deepest intention that we all learn how to create the life and love that we've always dreamt of. Now, before we get rolling, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And one ask that I have, and an amazing way that you can help support the podcast, is by wherever you listen to it, giving it a five-star review and a written review. With all that said, let's dive in and transform our lives. It is a great honor and privilege to have this guest in, uh, Dr. Shafali. Welcome. Hi, it's such an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, I, could, I feel like the timing couldn't be better because I've followed your work for a long time. I was saying before we hit record that I once saw you give a keynote at a conference that I was speaking at and I just loved it. And so since I'm about to have a baby in four weeks from the day we're recording, wow, uh, it just feels... <laughs> It just feels like serendipitous that I was saying to my team, oh, we need to get Dr. Shafali on the podcast. And they're like, oh, actually, her team just reached out. I'm like, yeah, I must need some parenting intervention. So You do. Trust me, you do. Because you're not yet a parent, you need the most help. You do. I can see that. You know, I, I, I watch, uh, I have a nephew who's 14 months and, or 15 months now, and I watch him and I... I actually observe the things that come up for me in wanting him to do things a certain way. And it's been really such an education and he's not even my kid. Yes. So yeah, I'm curious. I know you have a new book that's just come out as this episode is launched called The Parenting Map. There it is. And being familiar with your previous work, I know that is a must get. So can you tell us a little bit about like what made you write it? Maybe teach me as we as we do this. Sure, sure, sure. So just to give people a little backdrop, we were all raised by what I call the traditional parenting paradigm. 
And what I teach is the conscious parenting paradigm, and they are vastly different. So the traditional parenting paradigm, in a nutshell, focuses on parental superiority, parental control, parental domination, and through fear, shame, blame, guilt, punishment, all the ways we were raised, it tells the parent that they have the mandate to raise these perfect supersonic human beings. And that's just in a nutshell, of course. And that mm-hmm. places tremendous pressure on the parent to be this you know, overpowering presence and great pressure on the kids who feel that they have to contour themselves to the parents' expectations. When I became a parent and I came into the parenting paradigm, honestly, the way I thought I needed to be a parent, which was based on the traditional parenting paradigm. And the more I tried to control my kid, the more we were disconnecting, the more we were creating havoc and chaos. And I didn't know what I was doing wrong. I was just following the script. If the kid did something wrong, you yell at the kid. If the kid does take something they're not supposed to, you punish them. I was just following the script, but it wasn't working. And not only was it not working, I was feeling miserable. I was feeling overwhelmed. I was feeling like a failure. And then I had the epiphany when I realized that I was really parenting from ego and Mm. no one was talking about it. No one was teaching us parents that you actually enter the parenting paradigm with these very strict, stringent fantasies about how it should be. And we play these movies and we expect our kids to be the player and the actor with the script that we give them. And then when they veer off script, we're pissed and we think we're entitled to be pissed. It's okay. And then we have this thing called parental discipline where we have unmitigated, unlicensed, unsupervised control over our children. I mean, really, and we can be abusive. I've been abusive to my kid at times because I thought that's what I'm supposed to do. And so once I saw my ego, I was horrified, frankly, and uh, very humble. You're like, what is this? What is this? Like, where did this come from? And I was a meditator. I was a student of psychology, and I still had this big ego because you don't expect it to come in the parenting journey because we think that, oh, because you love the kid, you're going to be absolved of, you know, human error. But it's not true. You're, in fact, more of human error because you think you own these children. So, you know, they wreck your body, especially if you're a mom. They wreck your bank account. They wreck your sleep. They wreck your sex life. So the payback is that they have to be perfect. And then when they're not perfect, you're mightily pissed and you resent them, you know, and all these feelings begin to come up in you and you feel so guilty. Mm. But I'm here to tell parents that this is normal. This is coming up for a reason. And and that's what that's why I, quote unquote, created conscious parenting, which basically is telling the parent that their focus should be on them, on the parent's evolution and raising yourself because you are where the problem starts and you are where the solution will be found. Now, you are not the cause of all your child's problems, but you are a big influence. And if you want to have a better peaceful journey in parenting your kids, it has to start with you. Well, that seems like a big invitation. You know, when I think about growing up and being a being a child, and I grew up in the late 70s and early 80s, and just recognizing that you know, spanking was normal. I remember at school, you used to get, you go to the principal's office and you could get the strap. Like the way that we discipline kids at that time, which I imagine is still prevalent 
in many places. This shift of orientation from I get to be the dictator or tyrannical leader of my household to, oh my gosh, my child has so much to teach me about my emotional limitations and my lack of capacity, let's say. It seems like a giant leap. Like like for for the average person who maybe doesn't even think about these things, that their child could be their teacher or just about being conscious as a parent that you're you actually controlling them is actually the opposite of what you should do. So I'm like, what is the other paradigm? Yes, yes. I'm going to talk about it. But just to alert your listeners, they are going to turn this podcast off if we don't tell them what I'm about to say. Because I'm talking about anti-control, they're going to take it to mean permissiveness, negligence, you know, laissez-faire permissiveness. That's not the opposite of control. The opposite of control is what I'm talking about, which is connection. Connection is the cornerstone of conscious parenting. But what, what connection to what? It's connection to our child's whole essence. And the reason why we may find this offensive, some parents may turn this off or get turned off, is because we were not honored for our essence. We were controlled the F out of when we were growing up. So we automatically believe that that is the way to raise children because the old paradigm was all about break the child's spirit, you know, treat them like a blank canvas. And if they show up with an essence, just break it and mold them to what you need them to be. It's quite simple. And the more coercion, the more manipulation, the more abuse, the more power. So this approach will scare people because they take it to mean absolute, you know, chaos and anarchy. Oh my goodness, no. There's a whole new model, which is called connection. And I teach it in this book. There are 20 steps. I break it down into three stages. You know, the, the, the linchpin of conscious parenting is the awareness that our ego is ruling the roost and that ego operates out of fear. We are so afraid to allow our children to develop into their own destiny, so to speak, or to develop into their own essence, that we believe that the only way we can raise them is through supreme dominance, tyranny, and control. So we've created this either-or model in our head, and we don't see another way. And that's what I propose in this map which is like a manual. And if you follow it, you will learn not only to connect to your children's essence, but to connect to your own essence. So what is the child's essence? The child's essence is the awareness that every one of us humans comes with a temperament. You're going to be shocked at how much of a personality your child has. Like, whoa, these little beings are not blank slates. They come with heavy duty personalities but their personality is in formation and they interact with you and you and they co-create what will be known as their temperament, right? Their temperament is in flux, it's in formation, but they come with an essence. So some children are naturally shy. Some are introverts, some are extroverts, some are really irritable, some are dreamers. And I talk about all these different essences in my book and I teach parents 
that if you allow your kid to flourish in their essence versus transplant them from their essence into your movie, you will actually create resilience and empowerment. And I teach parents to look at every essence, even if it's a shy essence or a quiet essence. You know, these are qualities that are not applauded in today's culture. If you look at those essences as superpowers, you will teach your children to feel really self-worthy and self-governing, that they are okay, they're all right. Do you mean by that when you say self-essence, would that also be sort of have them express the most them as possible, like to sort of help them blossom in the development of themselves and their personality? And I would imagine sometimes their personality bumps up against the edges of our personality. And you're saying that formally we would try to control that or squash that out, but this is how do I actually grow on my edges as they grow on theirs? Correct. That every time we get triggered by our children, it's not per se because they are annoying or frustrating. It's because they are not following what our ideal needs to be. Now, a parent could easily say, oh, are you saying, Dr. Shafali, that if my kid is a loud and boisterous kid, but they have to go to church, should I just let them be loud and boisterous? You know, you get these simplistic questions as if this means you should just let go of all semblance of propriety. And what I'm saying is that, no, if you allow them the space to be who it is they are in the confines and the permission of your home, then when they go outside and there are rules to follow, they will follow it because they know that this is just for that moment in time. But who I am as a human being is still being seen and honored and validated by my parents. Wow, that's such a beautiful shift. And it it almost seems like if we didn't get that as children, you know, we're seeking that as adults in relationship ultimately. And if we still haven't figured out how to access that ourselves, again, another part of our life is inviting us to access it. So that's where you're saying you can discover and help bring to the fullest expression their essence, but at the same time, discover maybe your own. Oh my goodness. Every trigger that you have experienced with your child is literally 100% of the time something within you that has been evoked. And it's usually connected to some pain that you experience in your own childhood. It's like formulaic. Uh, So if you you get (laughs) triggered by your kid, just remember, it's not your kid. It's something inside you. They've evoked a deep despair and helplessness in you, which reminds you of something in childhood and you don't have control. And so then you react because you thought or we think as parents that with this person, we can have control. But the beauty (laughs) of this journey will show us that we have to surrender this idea of antiquated control and replace it with connection, presence, attunement, and a deep recognition for the sovereign rights of our children. This podcast episode is brought to you in part by Organifi. One of my favorite products from Organifi is their gold chocolate, and it comes out seasonally. So it is in season. And what it is is a superfood hot chocolate that is so damn healthy that you can actually drink it every day, and and you probably should. It has 10 superfoods that are ideal for rest and relaxation, so it's great to have at night. Great to replace dessert. It's 100% USDA certified organic. It is low sugar. And I think that's one thing about hot chocolate or any, or hot cacao. Like, we don't want to give it to our kids or drink it all the time because it's so packed with sugar. The average one has 200 calories, 6 grams of fat, and 25 grams of sugar. 
So the gold chocolate from Organifi only has 23 calories, less than two grams of fat, and one gram of sugar. I mean, this stuff is so delicious and it's gonna hit the sweet tooth spot. And as many of you know, I'm curbing the sweet tooth spot and it supports a better night rest so you can wake up refreshed. So if this sounds like something you definitely want to try and you should try, go to Organifi.com slash create the love and you will save 20% off station wide. So that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash create the love for 20% off. This stuff is absolutely delicious and all of their products I just absolutely love. So if you haven't had the green juice too, that's a great way to get not too sweet of a green juice that you just take and mix with water again. Super easy, much like the chocolate gold. This seems like quite a shift too from the way that, because you know, we talk about love, blah, blah, being unconditional. But what I witness so much is that it is very, it's often very conditional. And I very think, conditional. you know, as you mentioned that it, it seems to be with parents, that's very much a thing that our love, it's like, if you comply, if you follow the rules, if you are what I want you to be, or you like the things I desire you to like, or, you know, that saying, uh, be seen, not heard. Like if yes. you follow all those rules, then I love you. But yes. if you don't, I mean, maybe I don't like I withdraw it, which feels very childish, but correct. Yeah. And, and parents will be really upset if you, because you said that, because Parents like to tout themselves as the most unconditional beings on earth because they're not aware of their manipulation. They're not aware of their using their children to meet their own fantasies. They mm. believe it's their right to do that to another being. So it's very triggering and provocative for a parent to be told that you are conditionally loving your children. You know, that's just the ego of the parent that doesn't want to see how their love is laced, heavily laced and intoxicated by the hunger for power, ownership and control. Just being able to confront the idea that the trigger is 100% of the time something in you. I mean, I, I being that I navigate that relationally, you know, with my wife, I know and I'm aware mindfully that that's going to occur but I also, uh, I'm like, oh God, more triggers, like more things I got to excavate, you know, and I'm excited about it, but also I'm like, God damn, like the work is never done, you know, like this new being's going to come in. Yeah. You have no idea, you know, with another adult, you expect to be triggered. And with another adult, you can at least justify it that, you know, their parents were messed up, you know, it's your mother-in-law's <laughs> yeah, fault. It's 50-50, right? You can, you can cognitively justify a lot of it. But with your child, you're the bloody parent. Like, who to blame? Right. You're like, who's your parent? Who oh, is your parent, right? And they're like, oh, my goodness, look <laughs> in the mirror. But here is the wonderful opportunity, the absolute inestimable opportunity to use that for your spiritual evolution. And mm. if you get past your, your arrogance that you have an, that you should, you know, how can you have an ego and you realize that you very much do mm -hmm. and you let go of your delusion that you are faultless and you're perfect, then you will be able to grow through the process. Uh, but most of us feel a lot of guilt when that ego shows up because we're not prepared for it and we don't know how to use it as a spiritual agent of change. So when it shows up, we don't know what to do with it. So we just drown in guilt and shame and 
uh, or get really angry and even more controlling of our kid. We think, oh, if I just yell more, if I just bribe them more, if I just push them more, maybe then I'll stop getting triggered, right? We just mm. haven't been told that we need to look within ourselves. And that's what my book, The Parenting Map, teaches parents step by step. Listen, you are going to screw up like six times a week, if not six times a day. The point is not not to screw up. The point is to see that as an opportunity to ask yourself, what does this say about my pain? Like, where is this coming mm -hmm. from? And to examine yourself, and then you will be exposed to so much growth that you can use that in all your relationships, not just with your, with your child. You know, I formally, I think it's going to change just based on what you're saying, but I formally would have said that relational friction, like romantic relationship friction, and let's say heartbreak are probably the greatest vehicles for transformation because love is something we all sort of aspire to bring forward in the best way possible and to have a great relationship. And I still think that's true. Although with you speaking, I'm thinking that the relationship with a child is probably just as potent, if not more potent in terms of our willingness to heal the things that come up, you know, like, because we look at them and, and I'm sure in a non-triggered state, we look at them and think, oh my gosh, I made this human and I have a responsibility to this human. I mean, maybe that's not true all the time, but I think it is deeper, like on a deeper level when the ego's yes. not in the way, there is this feeling like, how do I be my best version of myself for this little being? You know, I have this debate all the time, whether it's your intimate partner or your child. And I'll tell you why I think it's the child and you can disagree. You 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 can't talk right now once you have the I'll kid. I'll let you know in a, yeah. And not even the first year. They're so cute in the first year and they don't move. Where you leave them is where they stay. So you're not going to be triggered really till they turn two. <laughs> That's why we call them the terrible twos. We've already labeled them the terrible twos. So I'll tell you why I think it's the children. Because of what you said, that we think they are from us. So they are a direct descendant of our legacy. And this is what we're showcasing and leaving behind. So we better make it good. So they better show up as superlative. The second reason is because it's a life sentence, okay? It's like from the moment they're born till hopefully forever, as long as we all live. So because they're with us 24-7, we have no escape. It's truly, Pema Chodron has a book called The Wisdom of No Escape. You can't escape this. Like you have to, at one point or another, take accountability for your co-creation from the moment they're born. So like I said, there is no mother-in-law to blame. This is you, it's you. So that wisdom of no escape actually gives us this relentless opportunity to keep looking in the mirror, right? And to keep examining how you're raising them. And because they're so defenseless and they're so dependent on you, just in that, Mark, the ego is on high drive. You're like, oh, I can just like putty, just pick them up, take them there. They don't, they can't tell you, mom, I don't want to go to Utah today or I don't want to go to New York. You're, you're like, no, you're coming with me, right? So because we have this control, because we're mightier and older and physically more strong, we can easily let that, you know, melt into our psychological dominance. So we have to really hold ourselves in real check and really show up in presence, attunement, and not project. The projection is wild. Like, 
you have no idea. You think you may project on your partner. Watch how much you project on your kid. It's wild because because they can't defend themselves, right? So the first two years, you're like, oh, no, so true. no, you don't like this. You like this. We just, you, you're going to wear these clothes because we have to make choices for them. It's all us. Like we buy their clothes. We tell them what to do. We take them for activities. All of it is dictated to a large degree by us. So we have to be mindful. I mean, there's no escaping that degree of control when they're young, but let's do it in a mindful way where we're trying to synchronize with their essence. We're trying to match it to their essence and trying to check our ego as much as possible. Yeah, I noticed with um, my nephew when I wanted to play with him and he was like, no. I was like, what do you mean no? What do you mean no? You're a kid. Like you're supposed to want to play all the time and Uncle Mark wants to play. So like, (laughs) let's go. I was telling you before we hit record that I had this really interesting experience with him where we were playing with this farmhouse and it had little shapes that you put the like sheep in or the farmer or the cow. And he was only, yeah, I think about 14 months at the time. And so he would just take the farmhouse and just dump them all out. And then I'd watch him and he would take like, let's say the cow and go to the pig hole and do it. And I, I saw myself be like, no, that's not right. And I caught myself cause I've been, I'm, I've been a, a student of your work. And I was like, I'm trying to get him to do this right, but he, there's no right or wrong. Like he's doing it right. right. And I had this moment where I actually, what you said, which I didn't put language to it previously, but what you said about it bringing up pain. And now, as you said that I had this reflection of like, where did someone sort of place right and wrong for me when I was just trying to be in flow, when I was just with the world? Playing, just playing. Yeah. So we cut, we cut flow big time and we're trying to raise mini me's. We're trying to raise supersonic adults but childhood is its own sacred, essential stage in life. What that means in simple terms is children should be children. Children play. Children are illogical. Children are in a dreamlike state. Children are imaginative. Children need connection. Children need your presence. Children need safety. So taking them out of that childhood is really floundering their formation, their foundation. And as they grow older, then of course you can, you know, interject more adult reality. But those first six years are really about connection, presence, attunement, and allowing children to experiment with who it is they are. And then you can start introducing more quote unquote real life realities, you know, But parents are quick to jump the gun, you know, from the age of two, we want them to be little adults because we're so afraid. We're projecting into the future all sorts of fears. And uh, because we have such an influx of comparison now, we're constantly comparing our kid with other kids and how we are doing as parents with other parents. You know, I I used to remember when back then other moms in the playground would constantly compare themselves with me and me with them. Oh, your kid is not yet, you know, sleeping on their own. Oh, your kid still doesn't talk. Your kid still doesn't read. And we parents do it to each other. You know, we we really mess with each other's minds by comparing instead of realizing that every kid has their own timeline, uh, you know, and their information. They're going to take a long time to coalesce into 
a sense of self. No point labeling your kid good, bad, introvert, extrovert, because it's all in flux. However, they have an essence, but doesn't mean that they will not be epigenetically transformed. They will they will have a, an interplay with their own development and their maturational level. And so everything is information. So just let's watch, let's observe, let's allow. And we're so afraid of the right and the wrong and the good and the bad and the rules that we really transplant our children out of that magical stage. You know, as they grow older, we can have more rules, but we don't have to go crazy with a whole timetable, color-coded on the fridge, you know, and your kid is only three <laughs> years old. We're, we're just like overdoing it. We're over-parenting our children. Do you think that, because I'm sure for a lot of people listening, they didn't have that childhood, right? Like they, they maybe had to become little adults at three, four, five, take care of parents, take care of younger siblings. You know, they didn't get the attunement, the connection, the free play, all the stuff that we're talking about. What would that show up like in the parenting pattern and, and in the ego? So maybe if we could identify ego and what that looks like, and then as they're parenting and creating space for something they never have, what's going to come up? Like, I'm guessing even as they're listening, which I'm sure, you know, I'm experiencing too, is is just like, wait, that would have been nice. <laughs> you know, like that would have been great. Um, so yeah, I'm curious what you think about that. Oh my goodness. So much stuff comes up that we're not prepared for connected to our own unmet needs. You know, literally I have parents who feel rejected by their four-year-old. Really, they feel like the kid is abandoning me. The kid is rejecting me. I'm not a good parent, but it's not the kid who's rejecting you. It's a memory coming up for you uh, that feels very familiar and oh, wow. you put it on the kid. So in my book, The Parenting Map, stage two is all about recognizing your ego patterns. And I identify five ego patterns. And based on our lifestyle, how we've grown up, most of us fall into one or two of these grooves. So if you're quick to anger, you have the ego pattern of the fighter parent. If you're quick to anxiety, you typically have the ego pattern of the fixer parent. If you're quick to attention seeking, you want to be seen, then you're going to be what I call the feigner parent, uh, who's like the prototypical stage mom or the sports dad or the pageant parent. If you are prone to avoidance of big emotions, you will be what I call the freezer parent. And if you have been abandoned or abandon yourself, you will take over the fleer parent. And of course, we are all a smorgasbord of many of these types, but we default to one or two of them. And the reason why it's interesting to go through these types and I have subtypes, just to make it easy and clear for parents that, hey, you're not abnormal, you have a pattern, we all have patterns. Can we please gently with self-compassion own our pattern and then try to break out of the pattern. And the breaking is not a one and done. It's like a constant practice. And But the first step, which is the most essential step, is the profound awareness and the epiphany and the accountability that, hey, I'm stuck in a dysfunctional loop with myself, with my relationships, with my kid. And it's really hurting my kid. It's hurting my connection with my kid. Well, that loop, taking responsibility for it, I mean, as you said it, I was like already thinking about how excited I was to be a sports dad, you know, <laughs> which I recognize that also puts this narrow framework that they have to love sports. Yes. You know, 
You're setting yourself up, right? So just be aware. Maybe it'll manifest, but just be conscious. You know, I once was on a plane with a father of a six-month-old who was literally on the lap. And he said, oh, my kid, you know, when we play basketball. or And I was like, hello, when are we playing basketball? And he's like, you know, when my kid grows up, oh, we are a basketball family. We all play basketball. So he had already projected that this was going to be his future, So look how now, if that's your future, you're going to manipulate the kid, right, into that. But it may work, right? Maybe your kid will love basketball, but you're setting yourself up for disappointment if the kid is not athletic, not coordinated, doesn't like basketball. Now what? Now you've set up a dynamic where you're disappointed. Then your kid feels responsible for your disappointment. So the best thing to do is not set yourself up or at least be aware Oh, you know, like most moms want their kid to be in the tutu and the ballerina and put the pigtails on the girl. We have these prototypical expectations. And all I'm saying is be very aware of them because you want to wait and see how your kid forms and allow them to have a voice, allow them to connect to who they are, allow them to know who it is they are. And then what if they play basketball and you invest all these weekends and you've taken them on the travel team and you've gone to foreign countries, but then just when they're about to get the sports scholarship for college, they drop it. They're like, I hate basketball. (laughs) And that happened to one of my clients and she was mortified. She was like, but, but, but my whole, my whole life has been identified as the basketball mom. Now what? Who am I going to be? So just be careful, you know, because your kid is not your puppet. Your kid is not here to meet your need. Right. And I think about how many people I know whose parents are like, this is what you're going to do, or you're going to take over the family business, or we're a military family, we're a sports family, we're a theater family, whatever it is. And it's interesting because when this little soul is like, actually, no, which I think at least there seems to be more space for that to even be a conversation these days. But that can feel, I would imagine that the child can then feel like they don't belong in their own family, which is not what we want. And you know, I, when you were talking about the anxious parent, I was like, I'm already, I get kind of anxious with my dog, which I think was like a pre, you know, just like preparing me. Pre-practice, for, yes. Yeah, because, you know, he eats the wrong thing. He does something, you know, and I'm just like, a little vigilant with him. And I recognize that that's my own vigilance that's coming up with my dog. And I'm like, oh my gosh, with a kid, I'm just like, that's got to be on steroids. On steroids. And if you're a driven person, you know, you and I were talking pre-show that we need our calendars. We have everything scheduled. All that goes down the toilet. (laughs) Perfect. Great. Great. Personal growth on on steroids. You know, you can't focus, you know, and typically it falls on one parent. Typically it's the mom. You know, she now wants to, you know, have her own career. She wants to go back to the gym. She wants to be sexy. And all she's doing is bloody breastfeeding and cleaning diapers. And she's like, am I my, you know, I have a brain, but now all I'm doing is cleaning this butt. And, you know, if (laughs) if we resent that, we're going to quickly feel very martyred and victimized. So we have to be very careful pre-parenthood to understand that a lot of it is is this grunge work of just cleaning diapers and cleaning vomit and waking up in the middle of the night and being there. And, you know, it's just endless. And if we think that there's some big payoff, you know, we're going to win the publisher's weekly check, it's not coming. There's no tiara, there's no crown for doing this. 
Most of the time, it's a thankless job. Your kid doesn't even remember. I'll give you one big tip. You're going to thank me for this. Do not take them to Disney World till they're at least seven or eight because it's a waste. It's a waste. Because <laughs> they won't even remember going to Disney. They don't remember. So forget it. And then they're tired and miserable. And then they get scared of everybody, Mickey Mouse, everybody. And you're like, why? The, you know, when I, when I took my kid to Disney World and I would look around because I waited because I knew that much. I looked around at all the parents with the two-year-olds and they are exhausted. Everyone's upset. Everyone's mad. They've just eaten too much sugar, wasted all their money. And Disney will come after me and sue me now because I said don't. But no, I, you know, I love Disney World and I think it's a fun place for kids. I'm just making the pitch in case they sue me. But uh, <laughs> I love it too. Just maybe not ideal for a two-year-old. Yes, it's just not necessarily. You know why? Because it's too fantastic. So you're walking into trouble, right? There's sugar at every corner. There's activity in every corner. There are long lines. You have to wait. It's the same as like taking your kid to the toy store. Like, don't do it. No, that seems like a dopamine trap. Exactly. That's what I mean. That, that's all I'm saying. And, you know, keep it very simple. You know, for my kids' first three, four birthdays, I would give them like a cup with a straw as their birthday present. And they were so excited. Kids are excited by bananas and by, you know, rubber bands. So keep it simple till it becomes complex because it's going to get complex very soon. By the time your kid is in school, because of social media, they are so exposed. They oh, know yeah. they're so quote unquote woke that they are going to be canceling you if you don't give them the best gifts and the best brands. So keep it simple. Well, that doesn't sound fun. That's... Let's talk about that because that sounds like a really interesting, as someone who has a brand and works on social media, which I'm uh, really exploring my relationship with and, and re-establishing what that might look like. I'm curious what you see as the impact of social media, not just on parents. Like, is it is it a two subject, not just on parents, but also on, because social media allows people to find information like this, right? So it's a great tool. But at the same time, it also can be the way that we escape our world. And, and then also what you're saying about children. So can we touch this subject of social media? Sure. So I have strong views. I may get sued by social media if it was a person. I might too. So let's <laughs> just let's go for it. So I think it's had a devastating impact on children and shouldn't be put in the hands of children. And the Surgeon General agrees with me. He said not till 13. I say 14, 15. Um, I agree with because you. Because of several things. Number one, they're algorithms that are addictive. The dopamine hit, talk about sugar, right? It's too much for that child's brain. We're yeah. not supposed to compare ourselves with these filtered, hyper-sexualized, hyper-realized, hyper-unrealistic realities. And kids develop their sense of self through connection. They need real life, direct communication, direct connection. They do not need social media friends and followers. It, they cannot handle it. Suicide is on the rise, especially in girls who are on social media. Just now, yeah. there was a 10-year study that got exposed and published that says, and they follow these girls from the age of 10 to 34, like exponential rise in suicidality. And uh, they correlated it to their social media use because your identity is information. And if you're basing your identity on all these filtered images, all doctored up, all, you know, surgerized or filtered it's an unrealistic image and you begin thinking you should be that mm -hmm. when you can't. And anyway, kids learn through 
direct hands-on, one-on-one eye contact. And if parents are so distracted, and if parents are giving the message that what's on social media is so attractive, then of course the kid wants what's on social media. And parents are distracted. They are more engaged with their phones than with the person before them. So the kids are missing out on that one-on-one presence, which is essential. So parents need to go on a big detox if they're raising young children and really limit their own use because kids need that one-on-one presence. Yeah, I think this seems like a, uh, so many layers because social media came into our lives for every age group, you know, so it had an impact in a different way on every age group and every relationship type. And I think it's been really interesting because just watching my own nervous system capacity for, you know, there's so much divisiveness, there's so many trolls, there's, you know, I interviewed a a woman named Laura McNally, who is a psychologist who looks at this stuff. And she talked about how at the age of 10, you know, young kids are being exposed to pornographic images. And, you know, Uh, She was saying that boys are often judged on how their body performs and girls are judged on how their body looks. You can improve performance in some respects, but to change how you look requires, you know, all the things that are being marketed constantly. Yeah, it seems like a big can of worms and the levels of anxiety, depression, suicidality or suicide ideation and actual committing suicide, they're way up. And and I think we who post, whoever's posting needs to be more responsible. I mean, I know I can't put the onus on the, on the people posting, but you know, I know as a mom that if my kid got some fabulous Nobel peace prize, I would want to put it on social media to, for my ego, but I, I wouldn't do it. My kid is not getting a Nobel peace prize, but in my fantasy, but, (laughs) but I also wouldn't do it. You know why? Because I know the effect it will have on the next mother. And we as sisters and brothers in the trenches, we know how hard it is to raise these bloody children. So let's not make it harder for each other by posting, you know, when my kid eats kale and when my kid gets the best, you know, student award, like save it, like save it for grandma, put it on your fridge and your little relatives can have a party and and be happy in your family that you all are the best family on earth. Don't post it. Now, uh, people will be upset with me because they'll be like, you need to handle it. I agree. I'll handle it, but the next mom may not be able to handle it, you know, and we need to just be real. And if you're posting about your fancy kid, also post when your kid is, you know, vomiting all over your hair, like post <laughs> that too, because then you get I'm going to do that. Thank you. Then they're going, then you get the 360 and parents have enough pressure as it is and enough guilt as it is and enough distraction and you know, overwhelm as it is that we don't need to be constantly comparing ourselves with each other. Yeah, so well said. I, I remember once uh, posting some information, some research from the Gottmans about child development and how it's correlated to how the relationship is. I think in the third trimester was the data. A lot of the reaction I got, which was only a, a small percentage of the people, was you shouldn't be posting stuff like this. People already have enough guilt. There's already enough pressure. And I was like, this is just information, yeah, you know, and it's actually helpful information if it's just that we can't go and rewind what's occurred, which I understand that. Yeah. And so I'm curious, is that part of that ego construct that you're speaking to? No, you're sharing and I'm sharing information to bring about awareness and insight 
that's not ego. What, the, the part which was ego is my kid is so amazing. Look at my life. Look at my mansion. Look at my accolades. That's the part that social media has fostered. This see me, see me, see me, 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 which is the, the perversity, the sickness, because it's feeding into this incessant desire for external validation. And that's why mental health is on the rise, especially in our youth, because now they're becoming dependent on how many likes they get, how many hearts they got. And that is a false metric for your worth. But that's the part I'm talking about that feeds into the sickness of see me, see me, see me. I'm so amazing. You know, am I good enough? What you and I are trying to do in our work through social media is to really share insight. So people listening to me may feel guilty now, like, oh, I fucked it up. I messed it up. But that's not my intention. My intention is that, okay, you may have messed it up, but guess what? I did too. And Mark is going to mess it up too. Not to worry. I'm in it. I'm in team. Mess it up. Let's do it. Already. He's already messed it up. Um, (laughs) So it's not about being perfect. It's about being aware. It's about being more conscious. And this book, The Parenting Map, is for any parent at any point in their journey And if you've had a parent, and even if you're not yet a parent, you will grow from this process because it's about awareness and transformation. So if you're, let's say your kids have left the house and you're celebrating, and then you pick up this book and you're like, shit, or you're listening to this podcast and you're like, damn it, I did mess up some of those things. I did control. I did have the sports dad ego or the tiara princess ego. So what you're saying is that no matter what stage you're at, if you learn this, can you repair? Can you like transcend what has already occurred? Because I think that's, we often hear like, it's too late. Or if you bring something to a parent, they'll say, I did the best I could, like, you know, suck it up. Right, right, right. So absolutely, we can repair. And the repair doesn't have to be an apology or now regret. The repair is how you show up now. And each one of us, even if we're adults, desires a parent who sees us. So imagine if your parent or my parent came up to us, even though we're adults, and say to us, damn, you know, I remember how fucked up I was. You know, I'm still apologizing to my kid. She's 20. But I don't do it with regret or self-loathing. I go, wow, I was really messed up. And she's like, yes, mom, you were like crazy. And I'm like, "I, I you know, I, I didn't know any better. And I'm learning and I'm growing and I see you now and I hear you and I'm going to try better now. That's the most we can ask of ourselves. So this journey of conscious parenting is not about perfection, but it is about the embrace of imperfection and accountability. So being able to hold that, because as you said earlier, you read these things, you learn which ego construct you have or which smorgasbord you have of those, which it sounds like we have a combination of many. What is the next step then? Like, how do you get to ego dissolution? Or is that a pipe dream? I don't know. No, no, no. So, I mean, it's a pipe dream if you expect complete ego dissolution and death. The ego never completely dies. So expecting that from yourself is, again, your arrogance. When you realize this <laughs> ego is here to stay, you might it's as well out. make friends with it. That's the way to go, to befriend the ego rather than to murder the ego. The ego will not be murdered. That's your ego talking. That 
that you can murder your ego is your <laughs> the trickster ego. ego. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Is your ego. So uh, in in stage two of this book, and we're talking about the parenting map. Last time, I'm going to hold it up. The parenting map. Get it, stage, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. In stage two, I talk about how you the process of dismantling the ego and what you need to activate within yourself. I talk about the inner child, how the ego is a surrogate parent for the inner child, but is doing a miserable job, and then how to activate your real adult parent. And this is about reparenting yourself. And when you do, you actually have great compassion for yourself. And then you notice your kid's ego patterns, because by the age of three and four, you cannot believe it, but your kid has ego patterns now because you've messed it up. And so then you get an opportunity to heal them, to help heal them. You know, I remember when my kid was around 14 years old and she slammed the door so hard because she's a fighter ego and literally the door was unhinged. And I was like, damn, man, look at her fighter ego. But instead of getting angry with her, which would have been my traditional response, because I'm trying to be a conscious parent and because I see my own ego patterns, I'm the fixer, she's the fighter. I went to fix the the door. No, I'm kidding. I could have compassion for her. And I saw, oh, wow, her inner child is activated. Let me examine how I've activated my child's inner child and how can I do better? Or maybe her inner child was activated by her girlfriend or by her teacher. So let me explore that and show her how this is now her ego talking. It's not her true self. She's reacting and if I reacted at that moment, like every typical parent would have, now I would exponentialize her ego pattern. So there I could make a conscious choice and say, okay, I'm backing off. I've done something to activate her inner child. Let me find out what that is. And I can approach her now after everything has settled down with peace, with compassion and with connection. And children respond really beautifully to that approach. What do you think if someone's listening and they're like, all right, we're going from not really being a conscious parent to now stepping into, I'm going to accept this invitation. I'm going to get this book. How long can they sort of expect, or (laughs) is this an eco question? How long can they expect for like the insert of the information for it to become part of their way of being? And I recognize the ego question. question. (laughs) Yes. Like how long will this take? (laughs) How long to insert new program? It really is a lifelong journey, okay? But you can make big strides depending on on the classic, how ready, willing, and dedicated you are. You have to be devoted to this. So the moment the ego shows up, you have to say, hello, ego, and then go read this book, do the work, do the inner work, call your coach, and enter sobriety from your ego. It's like 12 steps on Groundhog's Day. You just have to keep doing the steps. I have 20 steps, so do the 20 steps. So through the 20 steps, you can bring to awareness what the ego is, where it comes from, also have the ability to be able to witness maybe where your child and what their ego is. Yes. And then how to, I guess, bring some sense of connection and peace to the connection between you and the other. Must change romantic relationships too then. Oh my goodness, because you begin to understand your your partner's ego and your partner's inner child. And it's all very clear to you. Yeah. Because we're all living these patterns. You know, our kids are in crisis. I'm, I'm sorry to say, but you're going to raise your kids in a very difficult time for parents because of this influx of extreme stimulation. So our kids are in crisis. 
parents are in crisis, then we just had this thing called the pandemic, which added this whole twist, you know. So there are a lot of pressures that the parents feel. They're more confused than ever, and I don't blame them. I have compassion for them. And really, that's why I wrote this book, is to give them the how-to map to move from frustration to clarity. Yeah, I have so many. I'm I'm interested to see... Because for me personally, I, I don't really, when I look at the education system, I'm like, I don't know that I want to insert my child in that. Just in, but I also am, I recognize the sense of, I grew up going to a traditional school. To, I went to a Catholic school, which did involve uh, some indoctrination, of course. And I look at the world today and I'm like, I don't want them to have access to technology till they're much older. Because when you look at shows like The Social Dilemma, Mm-hmm. And even the people who were executives at the top of these companies did not allow their kids to have access to it. Yes. That should tell you everything you need to know. Can you imagine? Like they they knew that they were inserting these very manipulative algorithms to create the hook. And, and it works. Look at all of it us. Works. If you go on yeah. a train today, we're all like, curved spine, looking down and not paying attention to anything outside. And I'm guilty too. So we we have to work harder to be present parents because kids need very connected, present, attuned parents. Man, like this is the most important work of our time. The most difficult. It was was difficult when I was raising a kid and I didn't have the, the influx of social media. So I can only imagine how much more difficult it must be right now to have a kid. Well, especially with how much, how expensive it is to live, how often homes require two working parents. I'm Canadian, but when I witness, because uh, I now live in the U.S. most of the time, just the lack of maternity leave and yes. reverence for the mother. And I'm just like, how, like, it just seems like a redundant cycle that, of course, it just, the systems feed the systems. And I used to be a pharmaceutical rep. That's a whole other can of worms. But how they're just all layered together. And I'm like, we're not getting nutritious foods. We're not getting nutritious uh, connection. And all of it then gets treated with Adderall and, and pharma. You yes. Know? And we are, we're becoming you know enslaved by instant gratification. We don't have community. That's why... And I know I'm talking about my book, but this book will give you the tools to leave the matrix, to detach from culture's noise, to fall back into your own presence and truly connect with your kids because that's the medicine that our children need. Our children don't need the drugs of social media, the drugs of drugs. They need the medicine of parental presence and connection. I mean, amen to that. I think that's a great way to end with the invitation to just to how important this work is. And yeah, that's a beautiful invitation. Thank you. Thank you. And I will see you in therapy in a few years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least now I'll just direct email bomb you. Um, You you can text me anytime. Listen, okay, Dr. Shafali, here's what's coming up. Um, And you'll say, I told you on the podcast. I told you. And you'll be like, (laughs) told me what? I don't remember a thing. Where can people find more of you and all of this stuff that we're discussing? Well, if they go to my website, drshafali.com, I have courses, I have free meditations, I have a coaching institute, I coach people to become coaches, and they can buy my book, The Parenting Map, 
Amazon, Barnes & Noble, the indie bookstore. So grab a copy, guys. If you want to elevate in your parenting, you have to, have to, have to read my book. You just have to do it. Yeah, everyone go get it. I've read your previous book, so I can vouch for your writing and what you teach. And I'm so grateful that I got to have you on the show. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. 